0: Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast, getting inside the sports industry and recording it on audio. Hi everyone and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor at large at Sports Pro. Hope you're well. Uh, Delighted to be joined today by Sports Pro Digital Editor Tom Bassam. Hi Tom. Hi Owen. We're going to be hearing a little bit later on from Turner Sports President Lenny Daniels. Uh, and after that from Ian Eyre who was the Liverpool chief once upon a time uh, is now leading Nashville SC into major league soccer for the first time this weekend before that though Tom we're going to be talking about our adventures in Georgia um for the first ever Sports Pro OTT Summit USA where we were last week what Wednesday Thursday was the summit but we we had a few days in Atlanta at Turner Studios and beyond uh, to check out the state of digital broadcasting in North America.
1: Yeah, it was a it was a eventful eventful few days really, like um, very different kind of sports pro event to anything I've been before. Being in a being in a TV studio as opposed to a sporting venue or even a hotel, um, and I had quite a nice feel. Different lighting, different um, different attendees, and different kind of. Opinions on stage to what we've maybe heard from before in the OTT
0: space. Yeah, definitely, the setting was was quite a fun one. I found myself hosting in uh, in the NBA studio one day, um, and in the UEFA Champions League uh, studio the next day. From you know, in, in, on the turn a lot. Um, thought I thought I'd share that with everybody. Um, but yeah, as you say, it's, it's a it's a region with a different set of priorities, I guess, when it comes to uh, it comes to the digital space. I mean, the cable bundle generally has been more dominant perhaps in, in the U S than in any other territory. Um, and perhaps there's been a tearing a little bit in in terms of what people can get from their sports output. when you think that, you know, you have the basic cable bundle, which is likely to include kind of your local teams and everything else, you're not going to have to pay on top of that to get any major league stuff. Um, and equally you know you you still have a pretty healthy smattering of, of of stuff on on free to air um and so while that uh while that's falling away i guess it the market's developing in a different way from from how it will in the uk i mean and in 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 europe i mean you know we've seen um espn obviously pushing aggressively over to espn plus which is their ott offer uh, part of the kind of Disney plus family. Uh, we had Russell Wolf, who's the general manager of ESPN plus on stage to wrap things up. Um, you know, kind of talking about some of the benefits, some of the advantages of, of a digital service, but really, uh, there's no sense that, 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 you know, everything is going to change overnight. Um, or that necessarily, everyone is going to abandon their bundle, even though you know, you're know you seeing those those subscriber numbers begin to, to kind of dive down quite quickly.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think maybe a, a, just a, a starting comparison would be some discussion that was kind of started before we went out there involving the Premier League and um, the announcement that they'd be looking perhaps to go to a, a direct-to-consumer model in some markets during the next rec- right cycle and... That doesn't really seem to be something that's going to be happening in the US anytime soon. I mean, they they already have mostly their direct consumer stuff, but that's mostly kind of a out of market, nice to have addition, and they're not planning to circumvent the uh, the big broadcasters, which have paid them the big money for uh, mm. quite a long period of time.
0: Yeah, I suppose the you know the. Uh... the the b2b rights fee and and the value of advertising and stuff when you look at the scale of sports audiences is still quite high so if something like an nba league pass or nfl um product was to to step in i think we had a couple of people talk about this but if something like that was to step in the scale at which it would have to do so is is pretty pretty monstrous um you know you're still possibly going to see as these much, much longer term deals that you have in the US. And that's something else that we can, we can get onto in a sec, but, you know, as you start to see these, uh, these partnerships, uh, need renewal for the likes of the NFL, which is coming up in the next couple of years. NBA is somewhere in the middle of the decade. I think 2024, they would, they would turn of course, our hosts out in Atlanta, um, at the moment, as some of those start to come back onto the market, maybe you will start to see a little bit more involvement from the likes of, of Amazon, um, but, yeah, I think it's it's going to be a longer-term thing for, for some of those. And, you know, it might be that the delivery changes, um, but the deliverer is the same as in the case of, of ESPN. Um, you know, Turner has its BR Live product, and obviously every entertainment company under the sun is, is looking at a Netflix-style product for on-demand entertainment. Um, and while there's been some discussion of those carrying live sports rights in some cases... Um, you know whether those are challenges rather than companions to what's already out there is uh, is debatable. I think the, the the cycles is an interesting one. You know, we, BR Live, uh, which is Turner's OTT offer, it's kind of it's not on all the time as a it's kind of split pay per view uh, subscription offer. That has been built uh, to some part to some degree by um, it's been built to some degree on on their live UF Champions League rights. Which they will lose at the end of this current cycle, and they, there was more than one Turner executive who kind of said that wasn't really the plan. Um,
1: yeah, actually, I found that I found that interesting—the the sort of the frustration that they so they seem to have a little bit with
2: uh, with that kind of model um, and the fact that it didn't allow for them to
1: to plan to build a real kind of following around that. And when 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 it's got sort of laid out in the way that it was laid out by lenny daniels and and others it was it was kind of understandable really you were just sort of like well yeah that that makes sense if you're trying to yeah. trying to build a product around something and then like 18 months down the line you're no longer um like you know that in another 18 months that that's that's coming to an end then perhaps you'd even consider like getting out of that that contract at all and maybe handing it straight over to the next person mm. that was a suggestion that i saw in a in a couple of quarters how realistic that is i don't really know but um my my personal understanding of that um of that deal isn't quite at that level but it yeah it it it, it did kind of um yeah, it brought up an interesting topic of something that we're actually just very used to in europe the idea of the three the three year right cycle and that you're constantly basically in a competition that perhaps that 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 us model is um yeah it's it's very different and maybe with good reason
0: yeah and the premier League in the past has uh, has done six year deals in the U S um, perhaps more to give itself some certainty in terms of income rather than um, uh, give the partner certainty in terms of how they're building that product. But certainly it was an interesting perspective. And, and when you do set it against, you know, what Turner has been able to do with, with the NBA and the NCAA where it knows it can kind of carry out some of these experiments because it's got uh 10, 12 years to do so, then then it's a it, it is a counterpoint for sure.
1: Yeah, sure sorry, just to cut in quickly, I found that quite interesting about the discussion uh, discussion with um Ed Romain from from Big Tree where he was talking about uh what they do around basketball and what they've been discovering about basketball through through the app and the users that they they're sort of identifying and the way that they're able to do that and then build in what they do through the like what they do with the NBA in order to just better work on that and the fact that they have the Long-term relationship to build that around. Um, that that was tying in social stuff with uh, House of Highlights and, and all of those kind of different elements. The fact that they're able to piece together so many different parts of their organisation in order to build a build a product platform, however you want to call it, uh, around a yeah around a single property or mm. al- along with the NCAA, probably two properties, but
0: single sport. Yeah, going beyond that, I think. One of the things that characterises the way that uh, American brands are thinking about OTT is experimentation more deeply and and, and new kinds of products. I mean, I was um, on stage moderating a panel about sports betting, which is obviously a uh, significant growth industry. There was some some back and forth about just how fast that growth is happening, whether it's as quick as people expect. Um, but the two things that are interesting about the way that that is developing. One is obviously it's a market where the idea of betting on sport has been kind of taboo, um, at least in the mainstream. And, you know, Zach Leonsis, who was, uh, you know, kind of heads up strategic direction at Monumental Sports and Entertainment, where they, um, uh, you know, they own obviously a couple of teams in Washington, including the Wizards, uh, the Mystics, and the Capitals. Um, he'll be on a future edition of the podcast, but he mentioned that for a lot of fans and a lot of kind of mainstream consumers, the kind of heavy duty exposure to to betting advertising that you get in the UK would, would be seriously alienating. Uh, and OTT obviously provides an avenue to to serve people who really want, want to find out about ways of, of, of betting on sport uh, while also kind of keeping it out of the view of those who would be turned off by it. And the other side of it was, you know, personalising streams, uh, personalising, you know, the data that you receive and the the commentary that you receive um, in order to, to to get a more betting-friendly experience.
1: Yeah, so it's an interesting contrast, actually. Like, uh, I mean, uh, getting back into the office today, uh, we met with news this morning from Spain that the new government there is trying to, cut gambling marketing by as much as 80 percent mm. whilst it hasn't gone the full hog and banned shirt sponsorships or teams partnering with betting brands there's definitely a kind of move away in europe at least from from the gambling industry and trying to ensure a kind of a level of safety and i mean there were, there are a lot of questions about that in that session that you that you do on the, that you're moderating for and um um, whilst I mean they could, they kind of talked a nice game about making sure that it was making sure that there was going to be safety built into it and all of that, it does seem a little bit to me anyway at least that uh, the US is rather rushing headfirst into this kind of brand new opportunity and um, perhaps like maybe in five to ten years time there'll be a slight correction and perhaps mm. you, could, you could see a rollback of some of the kind of free for all that uh, maybe free for alls are slightly. Disingenuous word, but certainly a wide embrace of gambling as in uh, in being built into broadcast in such a way because it's something that is definitely being kicked back against uh, in Europe, and that's that's a market where we've got a very mature gambling industry, and it's kind of just coming more and more studies are coming to light about kind of the dangers of the sports associated gambling, and it seems to me that yeah, America and its broadcasters and its teams are all kind of just diving straight into that that whole scene with empty
0: pocket yeah to an extent obviously there's also the the kind of state by state legislation to to factor in and that's going to slow some things up and maybe uh maybe allow for some of the lessons to be learned along the way but it is going to be that duel between people who are trying to do this um respectfully I guess for want of a better word or or you know in a kind of uh in a in a measured fashion and those who have a little bit more enthusiasm and and, and kind of go into it headlong. Um, was there anything else before we before we move on that that had caught your attention? Obviously, there is loads of stuff, and and it's worth me bringing to uh, bring to everybody's attention now that that you will be able to review the whole of SportsPro OTT USA if you purchase a digital pass. There'll be details about how to do that soon on SportsPro OTT in the coming weeks but yeah was there anything else that you wanted to discuss before we move on
1: uh yeah i, mean, it, I, I think another thing that kind of struck me actually was a couple of sessions that myself and um our md nick meacham were uh, both both sat in on uh, he was moderating both i was sat in watching and uh, two sessions on sports piracy and it was something that the thing is that sports piracy was mentioned and broadcast piracy was mentioned a lot across the event as a a major, major kind of threat to the value of sports rights, as it as it is in most of the kind of sports industry events I've been to, actually. But then you go into the sessions dedicated to piracy themselves, and there's just not the kind of the, the interest there that you see in a session about monetizing social media or how best to build a new platform. Um, so I think people talk about it, and it's just a, a lot of the same things that come up in the session are like, how do we fix this? What are the what are the um what do we need to do? And actually all of it's generally like okay, everyone just needs to do more. And that's probably got to start on a on a ground level of just taking like a, an interest in it. Mm. And people could talk a good game, but at the moment it still seems people want to want to give it lip service without perhaps committing to it in the in the with the resources that um it, it deserves or needs actually if it's going to be tackled properly.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably a fair assessment i mean it's one of those where people talk about how it affects everybody but then it gets treated like a quite a niche thing um i mean actually in the the second of those sessions i was i was in there with you um brought together riche mcknight from the ufc who's the general counsel there and uh, abigail gutman from signer media and that was that was a really fascinating one in 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 long parts because it was um it addressed it not just on a technical level but kind of a practical level where you encounter piracy in uh, in in everyday life and in everyday business and looking at the sophistication of it not just as a you know technological stream capturing um operation but the fact that some pirates are kind of creating shell brands around their what they're doing to make it look like you know they they're legitimate IT, IPTV um, outlets and they're bringing together, you know, aggregating content and stuff, uh, legally, you know, there, there was, they showed a, a couple of, um, a couple of examples of that, including a video for a company whose fake name, I can't remember, but that was basically presented like, you know, Directv or something like that. And the sophistication of it beyond just the technological side is really interesting. And I think that that really brought home the work that there is, for rights holders and for broadcasters to do in educating people about what is and isn't okay in that particular space.
1: Yeah, um, on that on that session, actually, um, it, it was interesting. To, yeah, to hear the general counsel from UFC talking about kind of practical measures and people talking about like the I don't know if you remember the kind of uh, anti piracy ads that you used to get in cinemas and how those should be
0: introduced at the start of
1: broadcasts. And
0: yeah, you wouldn't having, download a car. Exactly.
1: <laughs> like brilliant. I mean, the thing is, you can remember them, so they probably like it did make you genuinely scared that at some like at some point, a man in a uh, fedora was just going to knock on your door and tell you that you'd been you mm. uh, been caught selling dodgy VHS. So yeah, it's, it's it's those kind of little things that actually you don't see on sports, you don't see in sports broadcasting, and perhaps like would be the start of of, of a deterrent. Uh, and if you've got to start, you've got to start somewhere. And those were kind yeah. of interesting things that were raised. I thought
0: yeah and he mentioned as well that that there had been or i can't remember I don't want to get him into trouble, but I can't remember whether he mentioned it or it was brought up in relation to another promotion that the idea that athletes had been asked to post on social media and to speak out about um about piracy and trying to discourage fans from using pirated streams, and that lots of them had basically refused because they didn't wanna they didn't want to turn off uh turn off fans so to speak. But yeah, and you know the other the other side of the coin that was introduced was whether there was some way of factoring in pirated streams to sponsorship propositions.
1: I've always been <laughs> I've always been uh, intrigued by that. Like, I mean, surely if you can work out roughly how many people are uh, how many people are watching a pirate stream, then perhaps you're able to work out a model for marketing it. Yeah, I, it's a question that I've always wanted answered, and never since something satisfactorily done. So maybe because people just don't want to talk about, don't want to try and give piracy any legitimacy whatsoever, but actually the willingness to sort of engage with that topic was quite interesting. And actually, if you've got, if you are gonna buy a digital pass for the event, it'd be well worth checking out that session. I thought it was a, one of the most enlightening discussions I've seen on piracy at any of the kind of industry events I've been to.
0: Okay, right, well, we'll leave it there for part one. Um As Tom mentioned, if you are interested in getting a digital pass, then I do suggest you get one. There will also be tons of other output from Sports Priority to USA. On our site, including some video interviews, some uh, some reactive content like that, uh, future podcasts, all of that kind of stuff. Right, we will be back with you uh, and Lenny Daniels just after this. Welcome back to the Sports Pro podcast. Um, now, in part one, of course, we were talking about sports pro ott usa there is some news if you've not received it yet regarding sports pro ott asia uh we have had to take the difficult decision to postpone that event due as you might expect to the ongoing issues around the coronavirus uh, in that part of the world which is affecting travel and affecting the you know congregations of, of big groups of people um it was the sensible thing to do to just give ourselves a few more months and uh give everyone a bit of peace of mind as far as that goes. So that has been moved. Sports Pro OTT Asia will be the same venue, but it's been moved uh, to the 21st and 22nd of October. So do keep your eyes peeled on uh, sportspro-ottasia.com uh, to find out details about that as they arrive. One event that is going ahead very much as planned is Sports Pro Live, which is heading to the Olympic Park here in London from the 27th to the 29th of April. Speakers being announced for that all the time. Sanjay Patel from the 100 will be uh, very much heading in towards delivery mode. Um, First of five or first of 10 deliveries, we don't know, but he will be there to speak about the newest prospect in cricket. We've got speakers joining from Vodafone, Adidas, LGP, tons of others already confirmed before that. So head to sportsprolive.com to find out how you can get your pass and join us there. Okay, heading back to Atlanta for just a moment. I caught up with the president of Turner Sports, uh, our esteemed host for the week at Turner Studios, uh, to talk about their place in the evolving US media landscape. Uh, Turner, the subject of uh, a takeover, part of the Warner media Group, which was the subject of a takeover by AT&T last year. So they are one of the big beasts now. In the, uh, in, in the American media jungle, but they have a unique set of challenges as so many of these corporations do uh, in adjusting to the digital age with outlets including Bleacher Report as well as their linear channels like TNT and cable channels like TBS and all the rest of it, their role with NBA TV and various things to keep in the air and various ways of assessing what's going on uh, as sport moves into the digital space. Um, So I spoke with Lenny just after he had spoken on stage, uh, and let's take a listen to what he had to say. Lenny Daniels, president of Turner Sports, welcome. Thank you. Um, Lenny, where does Turner Sports fit into the US sports broadcasting landscape right now as you see it?
3: I think we're a premier top sports provider across multiple distribution outlets.
0: How has the restructure of Warner media uh, under AT&T in the last couple of years, how has that changed life for Turner Sports? Uh,
3: it's changed life a lot. It hasn't changed our day-to-day operation. We actually operate the way we always have, which is great. But it's given us the opportunity to think bigger, grow larger, and quicker.
0: What are some of the examples of, of
3: well, that <clears throat> when you When you look at different uh, acquisitions, um, for example, with UEFA and how we wanted to renew UEFA, the way we did it and the way we operated to actually be able to make that bid was a lot uh, different than what we have in the past. And I think it allowed us to think differently and think broader in a, with a different array of assets.
0: Turner in the sports space doesn't have a dedicated 24-7 linear channel for sport. Um, it does have BR Live, but then you're looking at different assets across the uh, across- Linear and digital in terms of the channels that you use mm-hmm. what are you learning as as we move into this digital space? What are you learning about the roles of all of those
3: channels? Well, they're not all equal. Um, by the way We do have an NBA TV, which is a 24-hour sports network um, So we have we use that to learn and understand what people are doing with a sports network um, But I, I really do believe it's about what. Fans are doing on what platform and how you need to produce differently for each platform. It, people watching on Instagram are not the same people watching on TNT, and how we can reach those people and deliver our message and deliver the league's best, uh, you know, best content is critical. And I think that's where we're trying to figure out um, how we number one reach the fans, but then how we monetize it accordingly, and that's where the difficulty comes in.
0: How do you, how do you have to think differently about programming when you're looking across? different uh, different ways of distributing content
3: yeah I I think you know we we have to look at a couple of things one the length of content is really important the length of a of a piece of content that an 11 year old is going to watch versus somebody who's 50 or 60 years old may be quite different Um, I think the platforms and how they use it whether watching on their phone or on a big screen are different Uh, and I think how um, how we present the content may be very different a younger generations used to watching it at through a uh, like a gaming lens, for example, um, where an older generation like myself is not used to watching it that way. So I think there are multiple facets that we need to look at as we produce specifically for whatever platform we're, we're talking about.
0: And where do you make the decision to create something that's unique to a specific platform? rather than having a franchise that can work right across
3: all of those different platforms. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, but that is, I think, the key to it all. And it's not necessarily, re, you know, remaking or re, redoing the wheel. Like, you, you're going to have a general idea of what you want to produce and why. But I think it's the presentation of how you do it, the length of, of what it is. And, you know, basically, the, it's done in a style or in a voice of the audience that you reach. The voice that BR has is far different than the voice of TNT. They just are, and they are for a very specific reason. they reach different people for different reasons. And we have to produce for that voice, in that voice.
0: In terms of the actual sport itself, you've been involved in a couple of experiments. Um, there was the match a couple of years ago with Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. Mm-hmm. Uh, more recently, you've tinkered with the format for the NBA All-Star Game mm-hmm. um, and, and the way that the courses arrange themselves uh, this year. What are you learning from that about the tastes and the appetites of sports audiences?
3: If you're not innovating, you're behind, in my opinion. So you, we all of those things are different forms of innovation and done for different reasons. The match was done to look at how gambling may work. We learned a lot. To look at how we can produce across many platforms in different ways, and we learned about that, about a subscription model, which we learned. Like There were, there were different reasons we did that. With the NBA, it's how do we engage fans Differently and how do we you know also engage the players differently? How do they play differently in different quarters? And how do we provide a fourth quarter commercial free to the fans who really want to watch it when we didn't know if that quarter was Gonna be five minutes long or 40 minutes long and so you want to be prepared for all those things But at the end of the day, it's really about innovating across the board And if you're not doing that and trying new things you're gonna be behind
0: What kind of experiments can we expect in that area? And how do you work with rights holders in? in uh, in assessing what you can
3: Yeah, in that regard we're very lucky the NBA is is probably one of the most progressive leagues They allow us to try different things again We run NBA digital which allows us to try different things on NBA.com or NBA TV or their over over-the-top products uh, And we take the best learnings from them and we apply it across the board the same thing happens in reverse if if another part of this company whether it's HBO or Warner Brothers is doing something with for example augmented reality we could learn from that and figure out how that may plug into an NBA game or an NBA experience or an NBA experience in an at and store. Like there, there are all these different assets now that we need to learn from and innovate too.
0: How would you describe your run strategy at the moment? What are your what are your priorities?
3: Yeah, our, we're in a really good place. We have long term deal with NCA. We have a long term deal with the NBA. Um, baseball still has a couple more years. Like we're. We're in a really good place. Our job is to how to reach the fans and that next generation of consumers. Because if we do that, the rights discussions are easy, right? The money is one thing, and money is always going to be a piece of it for sure. But when you're talking to companies the size of the companies you're talking about here, the money will be there. It's about how you reach the fan and how you really do engage that next generation who will keep whatever league you're talking to vibrant.
0: You lost the UEFA Champions League rights for BR Live mm-hmm. uh, in, your, in your first cycle, and it was becoming a, a temple for how you were positioning that channel. What <clears throat> impact does that have, and, and do you think then about what you can get in to replace that?
3: Yeah. Without a doubt, it's not what we wanted to happen. (laughs) Um, You know, we love UEFA, we love soccer. It fits in the voice, again, of Bleacher Report. So, you know, Bleacher's got a lot of other soccer. We're gonna continue to look at soccer. We're gonna look at different genres that may grow in their voice and how they reach young people. Um, But listen, rights will come and go. And and especially when you look at how UEFA is structured and what they do, they do it far differently than any other league And, and, you know, unfortunately, CBS paid more money, and that's what, what came down to it. I, I don't know, you know, I don't think they were unhappy with us. In fact, I think and know they love us. They love Bleacher. They love TNT. Um, at the end of the day, for them, they're structured differently, and they made decisions based on, on different, you know, based on money and a lot of other pieces that we're not aware of. So.
0: Your deals with the NBA and NCAA are much longer term, although the NBA is a little bit closer to, to renewing. hmm what kind of conversations are you having with rights holders there about how their rights might be structured differently um, given all the disruption that's going yeah, on in the industry?
3: It's daily, if not hourly, to be perfectly honest. Now, the NBA, um, we almost, if you walk on the, the seventh floor of this building, you, you talk to people who work for Turner, they're going to tell you they work for the NBA. I mean, we, we really are that integrated with them. So there's no, uh, there, there are no we're on the same page we both want to figure this out together and and they're as smart as we are and we're smart as they are about knowing how much money it's going to cost and how to make money and how to set both of ourselves up for the future so the nba is is an awesome partner to work with nca and cbs have been great partners in march madness i think we're we're in a good place for the short term and we're constantly looking at how we can grow those pro- grow that property and you know for nca we run um the digital side of the all the championships so we're we're looking at how we can expand that in different ways. Uh, and at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to, is reaching the fan in an innovative way.
0: Elsewhere in the Warner Media stable, we're gonna see the launch of HBO Max a bit mm-hmm. later this year. Uh, we've seen dedicated entertainment, OTT properties launched by a number of different companies um, in the last 18 months or so, and, and, and in the year ahead, we're gonna see more. Is sport now in, a, in competition directly with those entertainment services in a way that they weren't in the cable bundle era?
3: Uh, I don't think anything's different, to be honest. I think it is, it is another platform. I would, I'm obviously rooting for HBO Max. I think they have a unique proposition that will win. Uh, and how sports plays into it is, is something we're gonna look at in the next year or two. Um, you know, with all of these things, you have to get a base, you have to start somewhere. And that's what they're all doing. Uh, and some are cheaper, some are more expensive, some have different value propositions and so on and so forth. And we'll figure out which ones work. At the end of the day, I believe HBO Max will be one of the top two, three um, over the top products that a consumer will own. And then how we plug into that from a sports perspective will be no different than what we do on the on the you know cable perspective you know, side of it. So I think the competition between other companies, us and the cable is going to remain the same as it is in over the top. The question is how can you... Cross both and how can you make both work successfully because you can't give up and we don't give up on TNT or TBS they're the best networks out there and we want to continue that way and I think the other companies have that same um, I you know want to do the same thing so I think how we make sports work across the multiple platforms to reach these multiple demos is really important
0: what's the biggest challenge for Turner sports in the next few years and what are you most excited about
3: Biggest challenge is innovation. I've said it a couple of times. How do we stay in front of everybody else? We have the properties for a long time. We we not. It's Our biggest issue isn't worrying about renewing the NBA today. Um, that will come at some point for sure. Uh, but I think it, right now it's about innovating and creating uh, franchises that matter to a specific set of fans. And then how do we reach those fans on these multiple platforms? Number one. Number two, how do we make money? And what is the new business model moving forward? Because you can't. Just sit back and think you're going to make money at some point. You actually have to have a plan to, to, to do it. And, you know, we're, we're dabbling in different areas. I mean, you look at Xander, you look at many different areas of AT&T and how they're trying to figure that out. They're putting a lot of resources behind it. And so I think it, it comes down to reaching the fan in a unique, different way and how you monetize that fan. Thanks very much, Then. Thank you. Enjoying this Sports Pro podcast?
0: Well, we're also the sports industry leader in print, digital, and events. Head to sportspromedia.com for the latest features, news, and interviews from the business of sport. Help yourself to a subscription to our acclaimed magazine and find out about our unmissable conferences before anyone else. Get inside the industry with Sports Pro. Welcome to the final part of the Sports Pro podcast. Tom, since I've got you, uh, is there anything? that we should be looking out for this week on sportspromedia.com
1: uh, Yeah, we've got a couple of bits going on um, The new MLS season starts um, this weekend, I believe uh, So we have our big sort of commercial preview as we do for most big leagues these days uh, But also Sam Cop spoke to uh, Nashville SC Chief Executive Ian Eyre formerly of Liverpool Here's a couple of snippets from that conversation introduced by the author himself Nashville Soccer Club's MLS debut against Atlanta United on Saturday will mark the culmination of several years of hard work for a lot of people at the club. And that's including Chief Executive Ian Air. Air is probably better known for his time as Chief Executive of Premier League side Liverpool, where he appointed current manager Jürgen Klopp and signed the likes of Felipe Coutinho and Sadio Mane. So it's worth asking him just how different it is going from one of the world's most successful clubs to one that hasn't even played a top flight game yet. Yeah, it's
2: I mean it's it's completely different. There are some similarities, but largely, you know, it's kind of like you can try and and you can experiment with things here, and it, just even by the market, the market's very different, right? So yeah. the way people the way people consume sports here is completely different. It's it's as much about the whole show as it is about the the actual game on the field. Mm-hmm people want to be more entertained here, I would say, overall, whether that's music, you know, atmosphere, food, you know, all of those things. You have to get all those things right to capture the audience here. Uh, you know, like, and whereas when you run in Liverpool, as an example, it's like a super tanker, right? You know, yeah. you want to change course, it takes forever, and you've got to, like, you know, you got to really fight to change course because it's 100 years of history and, you know, and tradition and all those great things that are right for that market and that part of what it is but here the league and you know the league change stuff and they bring things in and teams do things and, and so for that reason it's, it's more ex, you know there's more to experiment with it's more like putting on a show than it is putting on a just a football match but that's that's been really exciting for me i think mm have the ability to be creative about what you build and, you know, bring in people who bring real skills across the entertainment sector as well as the sports sector. Air was speaking to Sports Pro a day after National Soccer Club had finally reached a new agreement with the city mayor to proceed with the construction
1: of their thirty thousand seater soccer specific stadium. Air said it was a relief to have the deal done, but admitted that it has been a distraction.
2: No, it's definitely been a distraction. Mm. It's been very disruptive not really on the on the football side you know as we've brought in players and got into pre-season it's not really been a distraction to that but from the business perspective you know that's that's our kind of you know after after we start this season then of course we go into somewhat of a steady state but the real thing on the horizon is the new stadium and your own home and you really go to another level at that point so you know we've been in the early period, before we hit the robot with the mayor, um, we were very much, you know, and based on other expansion teams' experience, you know, a big carrot for people committing to buying season tickets is, you know, buy them now, even though this is a massive stadium we'll play in for next next years, 66,000 yeah. or something. You know, buy your season ticket now, because that's going to get you at the front of the line under the queue when, when we go into the new stadium which is less than half that size so but when you remove that carrot you kind of sort of remove some of the energy towards that and we've done okay on season tickets but I absolutely believe we'd have done better by now uh, without that, that yeah. disruption but, but what we've seen funnily enough um, I spoke to our, our ticketing guys late last night and this morning and we just had our best Two days uh, since we started, so so it's picking up again, you know, and and it's really important that you know that people realise that you know you do need to make the commitment because we you just won't have as many seats in the new stadium. We still have the Mm. biggest soccer-specific stadium in the United States, but it's thirty thousand seats. It's not sixty-five, but but energy has been good, and we've sold over forty thousand tickets for the opening game already. Um, So it'll be a big big spectacle. So with that
1: dispute now resolved, Nashville Soccer Club can fully focus on their MLS debut against Atlanta this weekend and sees reason to be optimistic for the season ahead.
2: Yeah, I think it's really hard, isn't it? Because you, you know, uh, the league itself allows you the opportunity to do really well in your first year because the margins of difference are small. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's plenty of examples of expansion teams winning it or doing really well or yeah. making the playoffs. So everything's possible from that perspective, which would probably be unrealistic in any other league. You know, you get promoted, and you wouldn't think you were going to get go. You wouldn't get promoted from the Championship and think you were going to win the Premier League. Nice. But, um, so, so I think anything's possible in that regard. But, but I think I said this to somebody yesterday that I think the best way we can measure is as long as at the end of this season we can all look each other in the eye, whether it's owner me looking the owner in the eye or him looking me in the eye or the looking the fans in the eye looking our players and the coach and everyone else in it as long as we can all do that and feel proud that we did the best we can do this year i think we'll all feel really good about it you know i think it's just impossible to predict what that expectation is and you know we don't even know what we've got at this point right (laughs) we know we've got 30 players in the roster well, and we've seen them in pre-season, but it's meaningless, right? Until yeah. you get out in a meaningful game and get three, four, five months into the season. I no idea what whether we got that spectacularly right or spectacularly wrong. But it won't be because we didn't put a lot of work into it. So, And that's on and off the pitch. So, yeah, that's my measure. If we come away from this feeling like we did ourselves proud there, and that could be the high of winning the thing or, you know, just doing the best we could do in for our expectation in the first year. Either, either or, you know, we'll we'll as long as we feel proud of it, we didn't let ourselves or our city or our fans down, then it'll be
0: good. Okay, that will do it for another Sports Pro podcast. Thanks again to Lenny Daniels, to Ian Air, and to Sam Cart for taking us through. That conversation. Reminder: If you're enjoying the Sports Pro Podcast, to please subscribe, uh, to like and share our content on social. Join in if you like on Twitter uh, using the hashtag #SportsProPod. And also, if you're so inclined, please leave us a nice review on your podcast platform of choice. If you want to get in touch, whether you're interested in speaking to us or uh, giving us some feedback or whatever. Uh, you need from us directly podcast at sportspromedia.com is the email address so thanks again to all of them thanks to you Tom Basson
1: thank you very much for having me
0: yeah anytime and uh, thanks to all of you for listening we'll be back with you again next week bye bye Mm